Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I'm your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Patricia Coulter that we began last episode. So this is our part two with Patricia. Patricia and I are going to dive into chapter four of ways to nurture the relationship with God, which will complete all the chapters that you will need in order to do a book study with yourself, with friends, fellow catechists, parents, however you see fit. We now have episodes to go along with all four chapters. We also have some study questions on our website that you can download to help aid you in a book study as well. If you didn't listen to last episode, Patricia lived in Italy with Sophia and Jana and learned directly from them in recorded conversations and lectures that she listened to in Italian from Sophia. And those, while working with Sophia, she translated them, and that's what gave, gave us this book, Ways to Nurture the Relationship with God. So it's really neat to get to talk to Patricia about one of the chapters in this book when she is the one that we can thank for bringing us this book. I really hope that you enjoy this episode and it helps you dive into this really deep and beautiful parable of the true vine. I hope you enjoy. Well, let's dive into chapter four of ways to nurture the relationship with God that talks about the true vine. This will be, this will complete the four chapters that are in this book. So if anybody does want to do this as a book study over the summer with friends or catechists or people at their parish or whatever, now they have four episodes to use as kind of a supplement to that book study. But this chapter, I mean, the true vine parable, of course, is just so beautiful but I and I love this book because it like just like what we just talked about with the Good Shepherd parable, it just adds layers. It just adds layers to the depth. And I always find I always think it's important to lift up that this book is for adult reflection and to be cautious about it not going this deep when we talk about it with the children. This is for us as adults to kind of sit and look at the onion layers that are within the parable. But also while reading this chapter, I almost feel like I'm listening to Sophia give an adult meditation of the true vine because I can see the what we do with children, but it going spiraling oh, into a much yes. deeper, yes, deeper level. And um, yes, I really see what you're saying, um, and I'm really happy to hear, if I'm hearing you correctly, the sense that we have our hunger. We mm -hmm. have our thirst, or as Sophia would say, I love how she said, we all, including children, but we all have a need for God and a capacity for God. And I think when I hear you say it's like, you know, there's layers. Absolutely, these are meant to speak, hopefully, to that need and capacity each of us has as an adult. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. saying whether or not you would ever see a child, work with children, have children. This this is for us all. Right. I'm just, that was a very long yes to what you said, Carrie. <laughs> right. And what's so beautiful, like with all parables, it says something different to us, but depending on what's mm. going on yes. in our life. You know, God is going to speak something different in the exact same words 
whenever in our parish, whenever we do sacrament preparation, um, we do a meditation for parents separate. So the kids are doing their meditation and then I do the parents. So I actually haven't done this meditation with children in a long time because I'm always doing the parents. And I love doing the parents, but I have to tell them that often. I know you know this parable, but now you are at a different place in your life. And so as we listen to these words that we have all heard before, you, God will be saying something different to you. You know, like you, something else will stand out to you. Something else you will notice. Something else will speak to you in a different way based on what is going on in your life or what's going on in your relationship with God. I just love that about parables. I mean, that to me is everything that, that Jesus was hoping for in using this method of of talking about himself and the kingdom of God. Carrie, that's so, um, so significant what you say, because I think I never knew the meaning of parable or, or how it works mm-hmm. or what it is or how we can access it. And what you've said is, you know, that it is dynamic and you're right uh it speaks to wherever we are whoever we are at whatever moment we are and Mm -hmm. um i think that goes to what we've said about the word of god Uh, i'm going to no let me just say it simply and and if I can find the quote before we leave, I'll quote it exactly. And I, I find this not easy. I, like I know it in my head, but how do I live it in my life? And that is, the word is really the person of God. This parable is not just the word of Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. Speaking, actually speaking here and now to me. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to say that. I mean, again, you've said it. I'm just echoing what I heard you say. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we could sit with that for a little while, like the, the depth of just that, like God exists in his word. I heard one time in a talk, uh, he was speaking about how we truly believe in the presence of God in the Eucharist. Well, he's just as present in the word. And so we need to be as careful with our Bibles and when we encounter the word of God as we do with the Eucharist because he exists. He's fully present there as well. And that's, you know, that's something to sit and ponder with. That's that's really deep. I don't think we treat treat the word of God with such reverence. Uh, again, I, I totally agree. And uh, it brings two things to mind. And it was a story Tina Lilly told. By the way, Tina, Mm -hmm. all of the books we've been talking about so far was part of her vision in creativity. Mm. She was a bit prophetic in understanding if this isn't passed on, what about the future generations? She was a real visionary in that way, and not to mention uh, a woman of great wisdom. But she told me this story, uh, and I loved how she would say, you know, to Sophia, every word of Scripture matters. And uh, then she talked about she was on some course, and uh, she was slower getting out for the lunch break than others. And it ended up there was only she and Sophia in the room, and Sophia didn't know she was there. 
and Sophia was going around quietly without a word. I guess some of the participants had unknowingly or whatever left something on top of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And she would gently remove it and put it beside it, whatever that object was, mm -hmm. without saying word. And the other one, I remember Sophia saying what she learned in her long and happy and fruitful time with Eugenio Zoli, that there's a very big difference in the way that the Jewish believer, the believer in the word, approaches the word, and most, most of us. And she did it with a little drawing. Or maybe I made a drawing in my head when she, this, this picture <laughs> came to me. She said, for the Jewish believer in the word, imagine a big, big, big book and a very little person. We, on the other hand, she would say, with a gentle wry smile, there's a big, 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 big person and a little book. Mm. Doesn't that communicate? I, uh, that's, yeah. that's an image of what I just heard you say. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need to. What, what, what did you call that book, The Finding Our Jewish Roots? Oh, yeah, uh, the, the article, and it might be in one of our, knowing Tina, she's got it in one of our works, The Jewish Roots of Christianity. Yeah, so we need to find our Jewish roots again in order to truly respect the Word of God the way our Jewish brothers and sisters do. Okay, Carrie, do you want to hear that? Um, I told you I had a quote. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, it's from one of my favorite people. His name is, he's the Capuchin friar called Raniero Cantalamesa. And uh, he's now in his 80s, one of the most, if you ever see him, hear him talk, he's got one of the biggest smiles in the world. And it's mostly always on his face. Anyway, he um, gave some Lenten, he, every year he gives Lenten reflections. And I heard one, this was the, for the fifth week of Lent, on March 31st. And, you know, he said, have you ever had it that you've kind of had a thought, but you don't exactly know how to express it or put it into mm -hmm. words? Well, you know, when I think of Sophia, what's all this about the word, just like you're saying, the reverence with the word? And he, he did a reflection that was titled, I love it, Take Courage, I Have Conquered the World. Anyway, he was making a reference to a passage from an Old Testament prophet. And when I heard this, I said, oh, okay, that's the spirit in which Sophia is drawing us to read, to listen, receive the word. And so I bolded these, one is two sentences and one is one. And speaking about the that prophet from Hebrew scriptures, he said this, and I think it goes for all the words of scripture. Here it is. <clears throat> Once pronounced, the word of God becomes active and alive again every time it's proclaimed. It is not a simple biblical quotation. Mm. So in referring to this, it 
we hear and read in the certainty that the word unleashes its charge or energy of trust and hope every time it proclaimed and listened to with faith. Doesn't that sound very, we, we know what we hear, the word is alive and active. That's from Hebrews. But I thought every single time, and then he, he uh, at near the end said this. So when he, this prophet, so we could say about the true vine parable. His word was, I dare to proclaim that word again. So let's us say, we dare to read and receive and proclaim the true vine parable. Now here's his words, knowing that it is not just a quotation, but an ever-living word that always does what it promises. Hmm. So like, uh, take the promise in the true vine parable, as I remain in you, right? Jesus is mm-hmm. promising, I remain in you today, right now, an act of remaining. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Okay, so I've got my book in hand. As I started reading this chapter, because I was preparing for chapter two and chapter four, the biggest difference I found was that there is not Old Testament roots to the true vine, the way there are so many in the Good Shepherd parable, which is probably why, you know, we hear about the Good Shepherd image being all over the catacombs. Yes. For the old, old church. And you don't find that with the true vine. You know, we don't have this typology, these Old Testament links the same way that you do with the Good Shepherd. That was my initial, as I started reading this chapter. Um, thing that yes. stood out to me. Um, because when you were talking about you were reading chapters two and four, well, the mm-hmm. four is the one we're going to talk about. Right. But chapter two is on the Good Shepherd parable. And there are many significant references in the Hebrew scriptures. You're right. Uh, interestingly, and, and you, um, when you're speaking about depictions of that, um, what's what I loved was the gift of being able to go to mass at different churches in Rome. And some mm. of the mosaics or the paintings, and I know we've made a couple well known in the catechesis, of the image of the vine, it fills the whole apse behind the altar. Mammoth depictions often with the cross as an outgrowth of the stalk of the vine Mm. and intertwining. Um, Anyway, that's an aside. I do love, though, how Sophia talked about the vines that were on the golden temple doors at the time. And she she said, so she says it's from the book, The Jewish War. And he says in it, the entrance door of the temple was completely covered with gold. Above the door, there were vines of gold from which hung clusters of grapes the size of man. This was the temple that Jesus walked through. So he saw this. 
the vine. So that tells us that the vine was important at his time, that the vine did have theological yes. meaning to them. And then he took it to this deeper level, just like he did with the yes. shepherd parable. Well said. And again, Sophia, you know, I'm quoting Flavius Josephus uh, with this particularity. Again, here we go, yeah. someone who op literally points to a door to us and is recreating, as it were, the physical location at the time of Jesus sharing this. And, uh, you know, the other detail is that where he shared this parable with his closest was, we believe, in the cynical uh, around the time just before his passion, death, and resurrection. And you almost get a sense that it could be seen from where they were gathered. And then mm. she makes the connection for us and brings that whole thousands and thousands of years of history into that present moment when he was living on earth and goes back to how he had referred to himself as the door in the Good mm -hmm. Shepherd parable. Or she makes the connection how he speaks of his body as the temple in John 2. Mm -hmm. So again, helping us to, as it were, take one detail. Now let's look at this from this angle in that perspective. And all these sparks or gleams are, are lighting up the words that we're hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes now in our age, it's easy for us to think, oh, we're stretching with those connections, but we're not because that is how the Jewish people, that's how they, that's what they did. And so when Jesus said these things, he knew that the people who he was saying them to immediately make those connections. And so we are just with our untrained mind, untrained eye, are just now starting to see the connections that they immediately saw. Exactly. How, how could we know otherwise? It was similar to uh, in... Uh, about the Good Shepherd, and she mentions in that chapter that Jesus was walking in the portico of Solomon in the temple when he told that. Now, hmm. none of that's by accident. That's not uh, an incidental detail that is of no consequence. Because we don't know the background, we might not think it's that important. But right. by putting together all these different pieces for us, all of a sudden it's like the circuit is being completed. You know, the connections are being made right. and the lights go on for us. Right. As she moves into diving into the parable in this chapter, I so appreciate, and she did this with the Good Shepherd parable too, how she, how she goes back to the Greek way of flipping the adjective mm -hmm. and the noun. You know, I am the vine that is true. I am the shepherd that is good. And I don't know if it's because we've heard this phrase, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, so many times that it kind of becomes um, 
loses some of its meaning. So when we flip it, it highlights it again. I don't know if that's the reason, but it really stands out to me when we flip it. I am the vine that is true. Is that such a powerful example about um, allowing ourselves to be guided by someone who has this knowledge, uh, shares it so humbly? But I'm just like you when she, you know, when the Good Shepherd, uh, she also said uh, the word Greek for good, it could also be beautiful. So I am the shepherd who is good. I am the shepherd who is beautiful. Now to know Mm. that's not sentimental, you know, that we're not making that up. And so I'm just like you when you hear, I am the vine who is true. I'm real. I'm the real true. And you can imagine if we allow those words into us, like how strong, how steadying. Uh, It's like being set on a rock. This is unshakable. Yeah. Especially in our world as we tend to seek, we're, we're seeking something, right? We're seeking that deep fulfillment. And it's almost like he's saying, I, I am the true that you are seeking. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other things out there that might make you feel better for a little while, but I am what is true will will actually um, fulfill your, your deepest desires. I am what's true. Well, you know, when you say that <clears throat> the world can say to us, look, you know, there are other things that will satisfy you and bring you pleasure. And you're indicating, well, uh, but what's the true? What's the real? And it makes me think, you know, it's in this context that he says, I want to let you know why I told you this. Because it's going to make you happy. And not only mm-hmm. happy, but it's going to bring you my joy. And not just my joy, joy, but I want it to fill you. I want you to be completely receivers of my joy. Yeah. I think sitting just with that verse, that very last verse, um, the desire that his desire to give us complete joy is worthy of our time because especially for those of us who were not formed in a method like Mm. pieces of the shepherd, um, it's easy for us, for our instinct because of those foundations that we had for us to feel that God's desire for us is more, um, more of a dictator, more of a moral right and wrong. Um, so when we sit with this verse of his deepest desire for us is complete joy, it rewrites who he is Mm. in our hearts, you know, like his deepest desire for us is complete joy. That's a, um, that's a beautiful image. Rewrites. Uh, you're right. We've got a lot of scripts that have come, you know, from who knows how far or how long ago, from what sources. Mm-hmm. I think underneath all of this is an absolute conviction that this word has power. And you've given a, a wonderful uh, concrete energy verb for that it will actually rewrite all our scripts Mm -hmm. yeah if we give it the time space in order to that's it yeah yeah as i was reading this chapter one thing that really stood out to me was and she speaks about at different times but right now i'm looking at 
the bottom of page 92. Okay. And how she's talking about the branches and the vine is one organism. It's not this separate mm-hmm. vine and then the separate with separate branches. It is all one united. And we talk about that with the children in regards to how intertwined they are. You can't even tell where one starts yes. and one ends. But the way that she refers to this, and, and she says, instead, it speaks of one plant and its branches. It is one organism in which there is the same quality of life coursing through all the plant and the life-giving sap is always the same even in the smallest branches the same quality of life like this really stood out to me like so if jesus is the true vine and we are the branches and we are sharing the same quality of life as jesus the messiah like that's huge like we are we are one organism together like it makes me think about you know, you think of a lot of things, but it makes me think about the chalice, you know, with the mingling of the water and the wine or, you know, this just this unity of Jesus with us that can never be separated. This one organism with the same quality of life. We are all the true vine together. Like that's, that's deep. That's the good news, isn't it? And you put your finger on, I think what Sophia um, would say is if she had to put one word on what is the great good news that this parable teaches us. The word would be union. Mm. And again, here we go. Parable, we have something concrete. We're not imagining it's a vine and the quality of life, same quality. And, and because that image gives us an actual sense i think i hear awe in your voice and you say that's huge and the biggest thing is well what's the quality of life it's the risen life Mm -hmm. i have to tell you can i tell you two things i don't want to get too much off of course i didn't know anything about vines before going to rome i'm a city girl Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Tilde and Claudio Cocchini uh, were part of that community, very loving. Their daughters, you'll know, are Francesca and Patrizia, carrying on the work. Uh, They had the most beautiful atrium in Our Lady of Lourdes Parish. Anyway, Tilde um, and Claudio took me for a drive. to a place where they had vines. And she said to me, you know, if this were cut, so it's the vine. I never understood, like Sophia points out, how much work the vine grower has to do to attach all those little new tendrils. Each one has to be supported Mm -hmm. and so on. But it was this that really struck me. Tilde said, you know, if that, if someone took an ax to that, heaven forbid, She said, they have an expression, and it's called, the vine weeps, like cries, because she said, there's so much sap, it just pours out. Oh, wow. And that image about what's coursing through that vine and what's coursing through us as branches. The other, and I can't recall whether Sophia told me this or not, 
I expect she did. And I, and I don't know if she wrote it down, but here it is. Uh, she was uh, sharing, meditating with the children on the true vine. And one of them said, look, if the vine grower is the person, so now they've got into it and they're making the connection. Okay, the vine grower is the person. Okay, we know the father. Okay, uh, and we know the vine's a person. Jesus said, I'm the vine. He said, then the sap has to be a person. <laughs> and Sophia said, oh, and waited. He goes, yes, the Holy Spirit, the sap. Hmm. The sap is a person, the Holy Spirit such wise children. Oh my. Another piece that really stood out to me this time reading this chapter was when she talked about the phrase, the, the verse remain in me as I remain in you. And she was lifting up the, the order of that remain in me as I remain in you. And the order indicating that there's a voluntary nature of our choice. And it really made me think that's, that's so right. Like if it had been flipped of as I remain in you remain in me, it completely changes the meaning. But because he's saying like what you said earlier of that union of like that, that promise that he will always remain in us. He will always remain in me. And he's inviting me into remaining in him the same way. So there's the, again, you see that that theme that Sophia brings up in a lot of her writings of that it's always initiated by God. Mm, the relationship yes. is always initiated by him. So first he has remained in me. And as a response to that, he's inviting me to remain in him. And that just really stood out to me this time. That's so, uh, so important. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean about, she always speaks about the initiative. And another way of saying it, that's the first love. That's what that's mm. what we discover when we spend time in these parables. That, as John said in his letters, he loved us first. Mm -hmm. Or as he says in the parable, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Yeah. Again, that's that rewriting, sitting with that, giving that time space to sit with that can really rewrite um, in our hearts who God is. Like he first is loving us so completely. And then that goes back to uh, the word remain is used 10 times and the word bear fruit is, worth, is used five times. And how that's really emphasizing the being over the doing. I agree. And this is one of her, I guess, major themes in everything she does is always trying to build from the foundation, the deepest foundation, and then build. Mm -hmm. And she speaks about this many times, but basically our foundation is our being out of which flows our doing. And I love, it goes back to what you said about, it's always God that takes the first step towards it. And on the bottom of page 94, 
you know, you mentioned about the initiative is always from God. And our response follows this first action. And I love this. Um, she said, it's not we who have first attached ourselves. How could we? Isn't it nice to know we're already there? We don't have to work. And then here's her, I would say, major motif in everything she writes, the gift. She says, first, there is the gift, our inclusion in the true vine, to which we respond by remaining. And here's the big part for me that goes to the top of page 95. And in our remaining, we reveal God's gift, the gift God has already given us in order that we may remain. Isn't that our remaining, our receiving to be part of the vine, or revealing God's gift, and that is the gift we only remain because of his gift. So it's a double gift that we're there as a gift and that we're still there as a gift. Isn't that wonderful? It is. It's beautiful. It's such love. I, I love the remaining. And I, I, I think I've said it before, at least I know I have when I work with adults is the idea of remaining. Maybe it's just being a mom of many, but the idea of remaining is so attractive to me because I don't have to do anything. I just have to be. That's all he's asking of me. Just be in me. Just be here. Just be with me. You don't have to do anything else. Just be. I'm like, well, that sounds very peaceful. <laughs> I love that. I'm very drawn to that. Um, well, I think you're very blessed because I think for many of us, that poses a real challenge. It doesn't seem enough just for us to be. Mm. Um, that uh, maybe goes back to a certain image of God, uh, a God who expects us always to be doing this, or expectations always higher. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I think in terms of rewriting our image of God, to imagine that um, being with, or if we go to the sap part, letting the sap be through us and in us and us being with the vine is already the all-important response. For many of us, that would seem passive, but it takes it's like, have you ever heard the phrase active listening? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to um, put words in Sophia's mouth, but our remaining is actually a very great action to be and to be with. That's active. Mm. I mean, if you're awake, <laughs> but... Uh, and maybe when you say being a mother, perhaps that has taught you um, or you've allowed yourself to be so formed by that experience that you, I, I, you, you can speak to this. 
but you know how much can go on when you are, quotes, just being. That a whole new life is coming to birth in you. And I think Sophia really returns to that again and again in this, that she said, to be is an act of creation. You know, page 97, to be in this sense means there is a creating together. It's actually the all-creating word allowing us to be a co-creation with God. Hmm. So she says, you know, when he says, remain in me, it's an invitation and a revelation, an invitation to remain and the revelation that we are already in Christ. To remain in that invitation and revelation is, I think, an invitation to joy too. Yeah. Well, it's again, kind of goes back to that you know the the remaining leads to the joy and the joy leads to remaining like it's just that um infinite circle again that we see mm. patricia as we kind of wrap up is there anything else from this chapter that that you would like to comment on um just uh, your last word um touches me you said this infinite circle and to me, the word that came was this circulation of life. The Father, the vine grower, the vine Jesus, and the sap that um, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus also called the source of living water, is within mm -hmm. us. This circulation of life and um what a gift to allow ourselves to be guided through. It, it's, to me, it's not easy to know what are the major, major points of this message and not be sidetracked by secondary ones. Right. And I think Sophia offers that service so beautifully. Right towards the beginning of the chapter in this section titled some fundamental themes as I was reading that I that's what I felt like she was doing it was like she was saying these are the fundamental themes focus here <laughs> you know we you can divert very easily but um sit sit with these sit with these themes well, just final word, Carrie, what a joy to be able to spend time with you in the parable of the true vine and with all and to think of all the other branches that will be listening to this at some point. Yeah. And thank you for your act of listening. <laughs> hmm. Well, thank you for all of the work that you have done, Patricia, especially in bringing us the gift of this book. It's been a joy to be able to talk about one of the chapters with you who brought us the book. So I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's been a joy and a blessing. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd in the Child podcast. I have in our show notes a link for you to be able to purchase the book Ways to Nurture the Relationship with God if you have not yet got your hands on it. I highly, highly recommend this book. 
Like we said before, this book is the one we are encouraging you to do as a book study this summer. There is a link in our show notes in order to access all the other podcast episodes that correspond with the four chapters of the book, Ways to Nurture the Relationship with God. Don't forget that we also are encouraging all of you, our listeners, to submit a question to the podcast that you might have about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Maybe you have questions about formation or how to start an atrium. Maybe you have an issue with a child in your atrium or how to make a material. Any possible question that you may have, we would like to be there for you. So go check out the show notes and check out the link to be able to submit a podcast listener question. I also went ahead and put links in our show notes to some of the other books that Patricia has given us as well. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all the contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.